Hey, I want to welcome our newest sponsor, Antonio Nicholson from Nicholson Law, this former state place winner from Solon High School and captain of the Cleveland State University team, is an attorney that handles criminal cases, everything from minor misdemeanors to felonies of the first degree. He also does custody, civil, and personal injury cases, and he's been doing this for six years. He's a former public defender, and his motto is always and forever protector of the people. He wants to offer a 10% discount to all athletes, former and present, if they retain his services. Nicholson Law at 216-774-4774. That's 216-774-4774. Antonio Nicholson, Nicholson Law. Blood Time, the podcast that speaks to the bond, the emotion between coach and athlete at the interscholastic and intercollegiate level. Each interview, each segment will reveal that bond and what was learned, how they were transformed, and what each athlete took to the world at large from that transformation. These stories will warm your heart and astound you all together. Submitted for your approval, now it is blood time. Well, we're back. This is uh, Coach Cimarroni, blood time. I'm back with part two, our first part two in the history of blood time with Dr. Scott Peters. Welcome, Dr. Scott. Oh, I feel welcome. Thank you, Peter. Absolutely. It's great to be here. We want to get in. We, we obviously discussed your formative years with the pin squad and uh, the iconic Longwood Y, and of course the Beachwood experience with Coach I Marino. We love Coach I. That then transitioned you into a situation where you wrestle initially for the University of Toledo and eventually for Ohio State University, the Ohio State University Buckeyes. Let's talk a little bit about that and how that transformed you from not only now a man, but a man to an adult, a fully formed adult, and how that uh, that process and, and sometimes tough process uh, transformed. There were inter- there was interest in me when sure. I was a senior, actually when I was a junior. Okay. I gotten, you know, some standard form letters. Okay. By the time I was a senior, you know, I I had accomplished, you know, I had some good victories under my belt and and so things were notable going wins. Well. Yeah. And then I ended up uh, making state and wrestling all the way to the state finals and I wrestled a kid that I had pinned in the district championship. Um, I won't get, I even mention his name because I won't give him the status, but no. I love it. <laughs> no, he was, a, he was a very tough wrestler. So I pinned him in the, in the district championship, and then he beat me in overtime in the state championship. Sure. That promotes growth also. Of course. And so it was the worst day of my life. And I remember thinking in the hotel room afterward, it ruined my whole career, meaning my whole career was not worth it. I would have better been better off not having wrestled than to have had it end that way. Wow. And I was inconsolable. I was yes. I was in a bad place just for that night. And, and I would say the vast majority of second place finishers feel, feel the same way. way. Yeah. I think the ones that didn't expect to get there, they might different have a different story. right. But if yeah. you expected to win it, yep. and I had every reason to believe I was going to win it. Of course. Right. Um, then I lost to uh, Friedel and you know, not to make any excuses, but I was sick as a dog when I woke up that morning. They told me that I had shingles. Oh, boy. The overtime didn't didn't help. 
Coach, I told the story, but I won't repeat it. But it was interesting. He he thinks I still hold him accountable for yes. the loss because, <laughs> because he didn't he didn't slap me again in the face or, or get my face in the corner. Instead, he's yeah. like, you're, "You're wrestling good. You, you know, you yeah. got this one. You got this yeah. one." Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whereas in the sectional championship, I went in overtime, and he he went absolutely berserk on me, he screamed right. at me in front of everybody. Right. Yeah. And he fired me up. Yeah. But anyways, um, it wasn't his fault. It yeah. was my fault, uh, you know. I yeah. just didn't win the match, and yes. so you know, make make sure we got that clear now. Right. That was a difficult time for me, right. and so you know, I think I only spend the next ten years re wrestling that match four or five times a day, every single day. You of know? course, uh, my dream was to kind of follow in David Sternberg's path. You know, another guy that I looked up to. You know, sure, two time state champ. Probably still do. His thing was he left high school wrestling and he hung up his shoes and he never wrestled again. You right. Know? It didn't end as clean cut as he thought it was going to because later I recruited him to get back into coaching and so we right. brought him back on the staff. But so when I lost though, that wasn't part of the plan. And so now I had, you know, I had all these unanswered questions and I had these you Plus know, you were growing. Plus you really physically physically just grew right. an well, immense I, amount. Really, I really didn't start growing until my senior year. Right. I mean when you came back from college, you were just a different physical specimen. I learned some lessons from those defeats, and I felt like I had some unsettled business, and so took five official visits to different places. Right, and we got all done. And okay, so i I didn't have I didn't have a clear picture of where I wanted to go. And the last place we visited was the University of Toledo. Yes, that year they had the best team in Ohio. Okay, right. It was a gorgeous sunny day. The campus was really nice. It was the best kept secret in Ohio as far as I was yeah. concerned. Arizona State was a, was a possibility, and my parents told me that if you go, you'll be able to I asked them how, how often I would be able to come home, and they told me twice. Right, yeah. And that they would come out once. Okay. So, and I had a little brother that yeah. I was crazy about. Of course. So yeah. that wasn't really an option. I said, I'm going to see my brother three times in a year. Are yeah. you kidding me? So that wasn't a real option for me, and even though that was my favorite place. And then when I got done doing all the math and all the calculations, so I said, I guess I'll go here, yeah. right, to Toledo. Yeah. And the coach was a nice guy, and, you know, he, he looked more like a basketball player than a wrestler, and right. I didn't know any wrestling credentials he had. But he was a good salesman. Right. And so I ended, up, usually in, are. I ended up in that room. And, again, I found myself right back at Longwood where mm -hmm. I couldn't even buy a takedown. Yes. And so that didn't last very long, um, and I, I left. I retired probably a month into the season. And then I wrestled in the intramural tournament. And in the finals, I wrestled a kid who was a, a big-time recruit for Toledo, and he started for them. And I think he made nationals a couple times before he was ineligible. He just wasn't a good student. And he kind of disappeared, failed out of school, showed up back in school, and he wrestled in the tournament. And everybody knew him and respected him. He was friends with the older kids because he was older. Yeah. Older kids on the team. Yeah. So I wrestled in the finals and I, I whipped them. All the kids on the team, they were refereeing the tournament. Yes. So they all came up to me and said, you really need to come back out. The coach came up to me and said, you need to come back out. And so eventually I, I ended up going back out for the team the next year right. and really rededicated myself and felt like, you know, I, I could do this. And, you know, some of those kids that were 50 or seniors graduated, it was a much more manageable situation for me sure. and for my ego. Yeah. So maybe you needed to take that year off. Um, I probably did, but I, I always wonder how much growth I would have had if I had stayed in the room and just taken those lumps, you know. Yes. But I you know somehow a little bit you know, of the fire was gone. You know, I don't know. Sometimes you you get refreshed 
both physically agreed, and mentally. Agreed. And I've seen that where, you know, even during the day, sometimes you just need to take a walk just to get away from stuff because you just get just beat down sometimes. Right. I don't right. know. Uh, maybe uh, maybe I'm miss, missing the point on this, but I don't know if I am on that. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think when I was in college, you know, my coach was Russ Hellickson. And yeah. Russ said that, you know, one of the things that made Dan Gable so unusual and unique and successful was the fact that he felt like most people do need a little bit of a break from time to time to right. recharge their batteries and emotionally re regroup. And he said, Dan doesn't ever need that. Yeah. I went out, back out for wrestling. I was a recruit, but really I didn't have any money here, you yeah. know, at this point. And so I had to wrestle off one of the seniors and he was a great kid. His name was Phil Plummer. And, mm -hmm. um, and I beat him out and wow. Yeah. And he was a very popular kid because he was very, he was very grounded. He was just a very decent guy. I mean, right. a super nice guy. And at Toledo, I got my first taste of a little bit of anti-Semitism. Gotcha. I didn't even know that existed, really. Right. And so... Well, Beachwood is a very insular community for, right. for the Jewish person. Right. So I was the exact opposite feeling. You were. Yeah, so I, I understood that. Yeah. That's how we used to fight in Beachwood. What was words? It was absolute how insulting you could be to the other person. <laughs> right. well, it wasn't that was physical, our, for That sure. was our fisticuffs. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I had uh, become acutely aware of the fact that there were some kids on the team that... Didn't like the Jews. Well, didn't like this Jew. I didn't know about any other Jews. Okay. okay. Right? And again, maybe I was a little cockier than I should have been. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember yeah. how I was, but, but I, I but did... But it was an easy I did target. Feel, and I did feel it. Okay. Was it, was it an easy target? Probably. Okay. I mean, I had a roommate, and he should rest in peace. He, he died prematurely. I didn't, I didn't know that he passed away until a couple of years ago, but he and I had a major brawl wow. one, one day in our room, and I can tell you that I whooped him right now he was bigger than me he was three weight classes bigger but i could tell you i whooped him because he's dead and he can't defend himself okay. <laughs> but uh dead, dead man tells no lies right baby. right so um but right now he's going you better not say it you know? <laughs> so but anyways he um we we, we had a fight and he, sure. sa he said you know why that bothers you yeah. and he's, he's like in my face and i'm in his face and sure. he said you know why that bothers you and i yeah. said tell me why it bothers me yeah and he said because you're a jew yeah and i said oh, really boy. I said, you think any of this, yeah. right, that's been going on between us, you think any of that is based, on, yeah. is based on anything Jewish? Yeah. Right? Wow. And, I, and at the time, I was a completely ir irreligious Jew. I had no, very, virtually no connection. Yeah. Secular so, at best. Right. right? And yeah. so I wasn't, you know, I didn't exude Jewish. Right, know? right. There were some difficulties there, and it was a little bit uncomfortable. I had a, a drill partner who was best friends with the kid I be, beat out. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I looked up to him. Oh, his name was Steve Fairbanks. I looked up to him. He was this great-looking kid. He was yeah. fast. He was such a good wrestler. He never knew how good he was. Yeah. If he wouldn't have known how good he was, you know, there's no telling what he could have done. And if he would have had a workout partner that was better than me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, so, you know, those were some tough times. But I, I was in the starting lineup. I, had a, I felt like I had to beat. Phil Plummer in a wrestle off like every ten minutes. So those guys were some of the guys you really looked up to. There was was there anybody like a Coach I that was in your wrestling wrestling world? Then? There really wasn't. You know, we had an assistant coach named Todd Sabo, and Todd was a hard nosed fellow. Sure, I mean, he was tough. I don't know if he was ever a great wrestler, but he was tough as nails. And one day he uncovered my 
lack of willingness to work hard. He, he found it. He opened he the door it. and yeah. he revealed it. And yeah. he, I mean, he tormented me. Wow. And got in my face. And, you know, so he did, he did change some things because he said, do you have any idea how good you could be if you, just worked if you would actually try? Yeah. yeah. And so um, that, that made an impact that stayed with me. But then, you know, the darnest thing happened. So Ohio State let go their wrestling coach. Right. Who yeah. had been there for many years. And they brought in, you know, they brought in a top-notch Silver medalist. Staff. Right. So Russ Hellickson was a silver medalist Olympic in the Olympics. Yeah. And he brought with him Doug Bluebaugh, who was a hero of mine because I used to go to his summer camp. And I just, I, I never met anybody like Doug. Doug taught me so much. Well, you know, Olympic gold medalist. Yeah, 1960 beat gold medalist. the Russian. Uh, he, he well, he did beat the Russian, but he beat the six-time world champion from Iran. Oh, uh, it was Habib, Iran, Habibi. Yeah. yeah, sure, yeah. Doug used to walk around telling anybody who would listen, you know, who the toughest kids are in this country. These little Jewish kids from Beachwood. I love it. Right. I love so it. So he had some kind of you know good we, feelings we toward us. We could not attract more antithesis of what a Beachwood kid was in our wrestling world. The typical Beachwood kid. Was oh, right. not was, that. Right. No, you're we, right. We attracted this. We were something different. Such It was just such a di different animal. Right. And it was lovely. It was wonderful. So the fact that Doug was going to be there. I mean, Russ Hellickson, that was a draw, but I don't think it was enough to take me out of it. So my, my, my uh, it would have been my red, red shirt freshman year at Toledo. Yes. Um, so I was in the match to make nationals and got beat by a kid that had beaten me twice earlier in the year. And I closed the gap tremendously. Sure. Um, he beat me. The first time we wrestled, like, 14 to 2. Wow. And then the second time he beat me, I think, like, 9 to 3, 9 to 4. And then he beat me 16, 14. Wow. And I was coming on. Um, if I got in the finals, I would have wrestled a kid named Darren Mossing, who I'd pinned in our dual meet. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, he was a tough kid. And he was he was So also, you were right there. You I was right, right there. there. I was right yeah, there yeah. As, a, as a freshman. Sure, you know? yeah. And my first year in the lineup. And then... I told our coach that I was transferring to Ohio State, and it didn't go over well at all. Right. At some point, maybe three or four matches into the season, the coach came to me and he told me that he had some money for me. Oh, wow! And so, and he put me on scholarship, and so that was, you know, that was. So a big, that's got to be a, a big deal. Yeah, it's a tough thing for a coach to hear that right. now a kid that you put on scholarship is moving to another rival, in-state right. rival. Right. I guess so. So, what did you learn from that experience, and then what did you learn at Ohio State when you transferred? I know that um, obviously we're getting to your transfer into Ohio State. Right. So, well, let's transfer, and then maybe we'll recap a little bit. All right. Very you know, good. So, so yeah. I think you know when I transferred, I was really excited to transfer. I was really looking forward to Ohio State. Um, just being with Blue Ball was going to be enough, you know. And then also, also yeah. Jim Jordan was part of that staff. He was going to be the grad assistant, and he had just wow. won two national championships and at Wisconsin, right? Right. And yeah. I didn't know him. But I did know Jeff, his younger brother. Right. So, but anyways, um, so Jim was our assistant, and you know, Jim brought a lot of fire with him. He was a he was a very refined, dignified um, kid. And at that point, becoming highly religious. Well, I think who? Jim Jordan. Well, he. I think he always was. So that's your first taste, maybe, of that. Could be. Yeah. I, you know, I used to look at him and I, you know, I would see question marks floating around his head. I couldn't understand how a guy could be in college and never say a swear word. I mean, he was, he was in grad school, but, right. but he was in the wrestling room still. And he was, he looked five years younger than me and I had a baby face, right? I mean, sure. Jim was like this, you know, this sweet looking thing, you know, he was like this perfectly, you know, 
carved out guy and he was so polite and he was such a gentleman but um and he was so refined i mean he never used any profanity right and he was honest as the day was long and he just he was a perfect example but it right. wasn't a time in my life when i was looking for a role model like that so i sure. i couldn't relate to him right plus and, you also had some interesting characters on the wrestling team we that did. were that were again counterintuitive to Jim Jordan. Right. So, yeah. well, Mark Coleman was one of my closer friends, and who was the original bar bar brawler. Okay. Right? Okay. And yeah. I, you know, but you should know, Mark never looked for a fight ever. Understood. Like people always wanted to test their metal against him, and they never. But it, it, he never worked out well for him. He attract. He was a magnet to that, to some degree. Yeah, but not because he was hostile Indeed. or violent or anything. Indeed. Well and, said. And so I got to spend three years in the room with with the, that staff and learned a lot and weren't you close with chris spielman at that time well i became close with him okay you know Which is a, he was a very responsible oh he man. oh he was ultimately one of the most responsible right guys. so okay yeah. so if anybody rubbed off on me maybe it was more coleman than spielman okay, exactly. <laughs> but if I, but if i was going to follow somebody's lead spielman was extremely mature and yes. very responsible guy very hard working coleman was extremely hardworking of course but just you know a lot more a lot more fun loving absolutely. if you will you know and let's although let's, spielman did love fun also so you've got some major major names there ufc ufc champion nfl player uh in their future and and you're right in the middle of that so we're going to take a commercial break and come back to that and let's talk a little bit more about very that. good I want to thank Serve Pro of Beechwood, our newest sponsor, and Jack Coslin, the owner. They serve all of Northeast Ohio, not just Beechwood. They specialize in disaster cleanup that leaves your home or office like new, like it never happened. Flood and water damage, fire, mold, and they say even blood and guts. Not just any Serve Pro. Seek out Serve Pro of Beechwood. That's Serve Pro Beechwood, Shaker Heights, Cleveland Heights.com, 216 464-4498. Operated by a former All-State wrestler from Beechwood, we love Serve Pro of Beechwood. So you're surrounded by all these All-Stars, amazing people, Blue Ball, Hellickson, Spielman, Coleman, Jordan. Wow. Right. <laughs> Tell me what you learned. Well, there's a lot to learn. Okay. I mean, there's a lot to learn. But I, one of the things that I learned was it was very important to me to be the best student. Okay. We got done with, I got to my fifth year at Ohio State. So the upshot was, he said to me, uh, I, I said, I, I think I, I think I'm in line for a wrestle off. Yeah. And he said, Scott, I appreciate what you've done in right. the classroom. I appreciate that you've worked so hard to get eligible. He said, but I'm not giving you a wrestle off. Wow. And I wow. said, why? And he said, because Kenny is a, is one of my big recruits. Yes. He's having a phenomenal year. He's doing a great job. And there's, he said, you are not part of my future. He is. Yes. And it was a very candid conversation. Yes. And I understood it. Sure. Right? And so even though I was really crushed because yes. you know, I'd been there for three years. Yes. So I wasn't going to get any kind of shot at it. And so, okay, so then what do you do from here? Yeah. Right? And so I just decided from that moment on, I was wrestling to become a coach. Okay. And I was going to absorb every single lesson that, that Russ had and Blue Ball had and Jim Jordan had. And I was going to learn how to teach wrestling because I had a brother that was in eighth grade. Yes. And I was going to coach him and whoever else happened to be on that team, where, wherever that was going to be. We didn't know where it was going to be at that time. Right. 
that was that was the end of my college career. That's a that's that a way. pretty mature position to take. Well, I couldn't quit. Yes. Because first of all, I felt like I was an important workout partner for everybody. You know, else and on it's, the team. it's interesting too because Lee Kemp was on our show and he talked about that workout partner being one of the most important things in his life. Yeah. To 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 be there every day and to give him all and to just challenge him, even though you know Kemp beat him a lot, right? Beat him all the time. He was Kemp, but you're, you're right. That's so, an important thing, you know. And I, I truly think I would have won the wrestle off. Okay, you know, and um, and it would have been a good story. I don't know what would have happened. Yeah, you know, I yeah. think about the Jesse Whitmer story. Yeah, and I think what could have been. You know, yeah. I don't know if I was at There's that stories at like that, that level, though. but I will tell you that I did train. Um, two years later, I, I worked out with the kid who was second in the world team trials. Okay, and. Um, at my weight and I worked out with him one day and uh, you know I, I had my way with him sure again it was practice sure. you know which is a yeah. far cry from a match but, of course but it was something to tell me that I was at least in the ballpark you know? you're in the mix and so you're in the mix. so yeah. okay whatever yeah um, so that transitions you into now a coaching career that really just kind of not so much falls in your lap but is is really fortuitous I think Right. So it was going to happen because my brother was there. Right. And so I had to make sure that he was going to reach his potential. And he was and, an up and coming superstar. I mean, he had some credentials, not the top top, but he was right there. Right. Well, he was in, he was in the top four in the in the nationals every year, you yep. know, top four or six, you know, every year. Sure. And so he was a he was a tough kid, but mm-hmm. I felt like he was he was not getting the most out of his wrestling room. There were some great kids in his weight class on his team, and he was better than everybody but one, right. Peter Nathanson. Yeah. And I felt like that was just a formality. Who could have been arguably the greatest youth wrestler ever. It certainly could Ohio. have been. Yeah, could have been. Yeah. And so, uh, but anyway, so we, we moved forward. And, um, you know, you called me. I don't know if you remember this, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, you called me when I was in college, and you told me you were taking over the Beachwood program. And I asked you what program because <laughs> we were down to was, one kid. Yeah, James Gilmore. Right, exactly. Thank you, James Gilmore. Right. And so, um, and you said, well, I talked to the athletic director, Bill Schumacher, and right. he said that if I'm willing to take it over, he'll change his plans for disbanding the program. Yes. Okay. And so I said, well, that's that's great. And Coach, I thought I was nuts. Yeah, in his backyard. He told me you're crazy for doing it. Stay with me at Brush. Blah blah blah. So, but I said, no, we're gonna go do this, and I. Right, so so you you pitched me on being your assistant coach, and um, I told you no. Yes, because I had this issue with my brother, and I couldn't put him into a program that didn't exist at Beechwood. Right, right. And you going to take him to Orange or something? So no, No. really, the options were really just Chanel or St. Ed's, and Alan Freed was at St. Ed's. Right, so the precedent was already there. Sure, you know it was it was a it was a tough situation. We fast forward to your third conversation with me because you were an incredible salesperson and you said to me listen i want you to come to beachwood right and i want you to be my assistant and i said so i've thought about it i could only do it on a couple conditions right and i named those conditions and you said absolutely no problem and everybody told me that you know when you get involved with pete he's always going to tell you that (laughs) you can't trust him So, but I really didn't trust, but I really did (laughs) trust you, right? Because I did know you from, you know, from when I was young. Right. And so what that became was 
to me, just an amazing, amazing relationship. And yes. as an assistant coach, I've learned a ton from you. Um, you know, our agreement was, number one, you could never pull rank on me. Right. Meaning if I was training kids and you thought we were working too hard, you couldn't pull my plug. Right. And I was going to lead the training and I was going to teach the technique. And you yes. said, why would I bring you in if I'm not going to let you do your thing? Exactly. Right. And you, you said, I'll manage the team and, you know, I'm going to teach what I want to teach. But it's your show as far as that, those two components. Right. Right. Yeah. And so hiring a great COO and let him do his work. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you did that yeah. perfectly. Absolutely. And you were a great father figure to these kids. And you taught me so many lessons. I never had any never had any plans on teaching these kids lessons of life. Right. Right. And so that I learned from you and it was, it was, you know, critical, critical for me. Well, I remember one thing you said to me is that you said no adult ever, ever completely or unequivocally trusted me and you trust me implicitly. You did. And you said that changed my thought processes of true adults. And the fact that you were, you lived up to your, you know, you did pull rank on me one time. One time. One time. Okay. You remember that? Yeah, I do. Cardinal. It was a Cardinal, <laughs> right? right? You made me coach the JV kids. Yes. And I had no interest in coaching those kids. And I feel you because I didn't either. Right. Well, that's why you made me. <laughs> I learned a lot about coaching from you. The you life did. lessons. Yeah. Yeah. And so I took those with me. So when, you know, when my brother, you told me when I came in that you would coach till my brother graduated and that would be it. And what I didn't realize at the time, but, you know, came to appreciate was that you really didn't care that much about having me around, but you knew you could build a program around my brother. Well, he was a lead dog. He was. And but he, you were an amazing part of that because the kids gravitated towards you in the youth. Those seventh and eighth graders wanted to be you or wanted to be your brother. And, you know, if we could get guys that were just 85% of your brother, 80% of your brother, we got some studs because we can get guys down to state. And then with the mentality that we brought, you brought, we could get those guys as good as possible. Right. And that's what happened. So and by the time, um, by the time I took over, my feeling was I really, I wanted to create men. Right. That were great wrestlers, great men that were great wrestlers. And right. so that's. That was what my aim was. And I think we taught those kids. I think, you know, my my interactions with those kids were, was so extensive that they were becoming great men first and they were becoming great thinkers. I did. I was never great at letting kids think on the mat. Okay. I was much better at thinking for them sure. and being like a stream of consciousness in their in their ear, you know, right when when they were wrestling. And so they could hear me. And I was doing the thinking for them, but, but you were in inside life, their head, you but were in life, head. okay. you know, I, I once made a comment to coach. I, that I bet you, if you took all the wrestling coaches in the country okay. throughout history, there's probably nobody that produced more doctors and lawyers than coach. I. <laughs> That's right. Right? Or business owners. Right? Or, he, yeah. his, eyes opened, his, his, yeah. his eyebrows went up and he was like, uh, wow, I never thought about that. Right. And then I thought about my own legacy I don't have one doctor or lawyer, and I used to preach academics way more than Coach I did. Yeah, but you but, had some successful dudes. Though. So what I have, yeah. right, is I have a bunch of kids that all became successful businessmen. Right. Right, in their own in their own way. Yes, they, yes, you do. And so, I mean, really, really high-level businessmen. I taught them how to think like men right. and how to think in a responsible way and how to hold themselves accountable sure. and how to handle pressure. You know, when I've interviewed some of these guys, they, they talk about that, that it's part of being, you know, when they were out on the mat, you were in their head, you mm -hmm. know, um, and that was really something 
that I wanted to impart in my coaching staff and in the kids I coached. And I think that's really what you're talking about as well. Right. Well, there, there's other things too, you know, um, I heard you interviewed Brian Zide and, you know, yeah. Brian is just, you know, one of my favorite people. I just love really him. great. Intellect. I have such respect for him and yeah. always did. And he was, he just, what he could do to people, yeah. the way he would embarrass them and demoralize them and the positions he would get them in. <laughs> I literally, I used to sit there with Mark Scripps, my assistant coach, right? Yeah. I used to sit there and I would like grab his shoulders and put my face on his, sh on his, one of his shoulders. And sure. I would hide. I was so embarrassed for his opponents. <laughs> right. right. And I would laugh. I'm like, look what he's doing. Doing This is so embarrassing. Right. Yeah. But anyways, um, so, so Brian um, said a lot of poignant things. I actually wrote some of the things down because I, I thought he said some very important things. And one of them is that business is just a series of decisions. Yeah. Right. And he said, you know, right. you hope you get the big ones, right. Sure. You're not going to get them all right, but you hope you get the big ones right. Right. And I was thinking, well, boy, isn't that just life? Yes. Right? It is. I mean, he constricted it to business. Of course. But it really is life. And I think those were the kinds of things that we talked about all the time and worked on, and they came away understanding those things. And so if I had any influence on them, it was in that in that way. And so... You know, you taught me, too. And I, although I maybe had this intrinsically, I remember accepting an award for you in 1994 as the coach of the year. I had never felt more pride in my life, more happiness for somebody that was not me. You know what I mean? Right, right. That it, like that you won that award. And I remember coach talking to coach I about that cause he was with me. So you taught me a life lesson there of this true selflessness of what we do and why we do it and the happiness that we can have for others as a coach in a life of service, Gabriel Dean talked about that. He says, I'm going to live my life in a life of service. And today you're a doctor. Obviously, you're serving people's health and you're, you're, you're coaching. What's the biggest life lesson that you learned out of all this conversation we've had to know of all the things that you've, you've, you've grown to and grown, grown into? Well, okay. So first of all, I would say that life is a lesson. Well said. Right? And so it's very important to understand that everything you're going to go through is there to teach you. And one of the things that I try and I've, I've tried to teach all the wrestlers throughout the years, and I used to say this to them all the time, was that everything that comes your way is neutral. Well, everything. So, yes. It is only positive or negative based on how you process it. Right. Now, having grown and aged and become a little more religious, and, you know, so if you believe there's a creator, right, if you, if you know there's a creator, so then you can easily understand that he's not going to do anything to harm you. Everything right. that comes your way is an opportunity. Okay. Right? And so it is, everything is for your good. Gotcha. And so when I look at the biggest lesson, all the difficulty, when I, you know, when I, when I had my freshman year at Toledo where I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't be successful at yeah. any level. Yeah. And then I ran into some anti-Semitism, which was really uncomfortable at certain times. It wasn't so much from the wrestlers, actually, as it was in the dorm, right. but it did spill over. And then, you know, transferring and knowing that I had a coach that really hated me from that point on at, at Toledo. You sure. know? And he was still civil with me when I would see him, but I knew how he felt. And yeah. then going to, to Ohio State and never really getting in the lineup, I, you know, I probably had... I probably had 75 to 100 matches in, in um, open tournaments. Yes. But never really got to um, 
never got to see what I really could accomplish and never, certainly never met any of my goals at Ohio State. Right. But when you come away from it all, you, you know, in each one of those challenges that you face at that time, you have to, you can't let it get you down. You have to recognize, okay, this is an opportunity for growth. Okay. This is an opportunity for me to get better, for me to learn from it. Right. You have to, you have to always, you know, to think of glass half empty or half full, your glass is full, oh, period, yeah. always. Wow, you can awesome. drink that whole glass and it's still full, right. right? And you should always take away with you, take it with you everywhere, that no matter what frustration you face at that moment, whatever difficulty, whatever heartache, you have to know that no matter what the circumstance is, there are lessons in there and there are, there are, those are opportunities for us to grow and to grow stronger and bigger and better and we can handle the next challenge better. And I think... It, that is the lesson that people have to take with them through life. Because if you do, you can always have a positive mental attitude. You can always be driven towards your goals. Sure. And the setbacks aren't setbacks. They're just challenges to overcome. I love that. So embrace that. Absolutely. Embrace it. You know, our, our, our boy Stallone says it's not getting knocked down. It's how you get up. Yeah. You know, and I love that too. And I love your philosophy. Love you as a human being. Love you too, my friend. And I am so blessed to have had you in studio for a two-parter yeah a two-parter man and well, you're my blood well you too baby <laughs> yeah but you know and i understand that anti-semitism that was pointed i know that you know it's it's just a, a sad thing that we have to experience and again, again it wasn't a lot well at least i wasn't aware of it a lot in that you know granted it was kind of the stone age 1975 but at the end of the day that's something that you know we gotta we gotta figure it out you know, right, right. Figure Listen, out, you know? but but again, those all just are challenges. Right? Exactly. If I if I fold the tent, yeah, right, and walk away from it, so yeah. then I don't grow from it. But if I take it and say, listen, okay, there's people, you know, and today my my feelings about that have totally changed. Of course. Like my feelings today are, you know what? Like in this country now, we're so politically correct that we're trying to tell people how they can feel about. You know, if you want to hate me because I'm a Jew, it's okay. You yeah. can't hurt me, yeah. but you can hate me, and exactly. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And it's all, I know it's only because you haven't gotten to know me. Exactly. Right? Once you get to know me, you're really going to hate me. You know, <laughs> a whole new level of hatred. Right? That's right. The fact but that you only hate me. That's yeah. right. No, that's but, right. <laughs> but the truth is, you know, I feel like the people that, you know, there, there was an assistant coach at, at, at Chanel. Okay. That... I felt like every time we looked at each other, we just gave each other dirty looks over the years, right? Of course. And I would sit down with Graham Coggill at tournaments and with uh, Tim Rutherford at, at tournaments and have conversations with them for hours on end, right? I mean, I had so much love for them. But this guy, I had no relationship with him. He's just a couple years older than me. And right. he was a stud for them. And, yeah. uh, you know, and it was Larry Vance. I'll of say course. it because, yeah. you know, you, well, and, I were having, we, you yeah. and I were having coffee one day. And yes. in walks Larry Vance. Yes. And you're like, wave to him. I turn around, I see him. I'm like, oh my gosh, is he going to come over the table, right? Yeah, four and, hours later, we were best friends. Right, so yeah. we sat yeah. there for an hour and a half and yeah. schmoozed. And I mean, what a great guy. I mean, I Terrific just, guy. That's the reason I have Jake. I had Jake Goodwin for two years because of Larry Vance. Oh, really? He saw my dad at Home Depot. And, and here was a guy that, you know, so I had no love for this guy for all right. these years. Like, how could you be Graham Coggill's assistant and have nothing to say to me? Yeah. Because... I have such love and respect for Graham, right? Sure, sure. And so, but nothing, not a word was spoken between us for all those years of, of competition, you know, between us. And uh, and then one day in the, in a coffee shop, right? Yeah. He, he sits down with us and I'm like, oh, that's really a great guy. So the lesson that we take away is just get to know people. 
Right. And you yeah. know what? But, but the truth is, I, th I think for me, the bigger thing is, you know, we shouldn't fill our hearts with hate, right? Yeah. Fill well your heart said. with love and judge everybody favorably. But more importantly, it's okay to have aggressive feelings towards somebody. It's okay to, you know, like exercise some self-control and self-restraint. Right. You know, one last thought before you, you know, sign off. You taught me a lesson when we were coaching. You, you know, I said, you've taught, you taught me so many things. You taught me something that's stuck with me through my entire professional career. You said when, uh, this was in 1988. Okay. I was probably 21, 22 years old. And we were having a conversation about business. And you said, you know, Scott, something very important to take through life with you is that you, there's some things you don't do even for money. Right. And right. I didn't really know the context you were saying, like why you were telling me that. I yeah. wasn't in business at the time. And I sure. was, you know, sure. I was actually in, I think I was in law school at the time. Yeah. And I didn't see how it applied. Yeah. But I will tell you that I've taken that with me everywhere I've gone. And so that is something that keeps you honest in your business transactions. You sure. Know? And so I thank you for that. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. I love you. We are blood. This is Coach Cimarroni. Love and health to all. I want to share my thought of the day with you. Iron through fire makes steel. Welcome the fire. I want to thank Brandon and his team at Edwin's Leadership and Restaurant Institute, our newest sponsor. What a marvelous mission. Thank you, Brandon, for bringing these wonderful people back into productive society at Edwin's Leadership and Restaurant Institute. Visit them at 13101 Shaker Square, Edwin's Restaurant. Thank you. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with Breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with Breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with Breslow the business of sports betting podcast